How I paid loves to you without you A picture in black and white of you Another thing you didn't mean Within two worlds I fell between A secret that you kept from all you knew child of love you once embraced a tenderness I can't erase a blueprint for a love that can't be true the song of you still sings in me is said in lonely melody of all you were and never Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. That is a tantalizing taste of the title song from Tessa Souter's new album, Picture in Black and White. When Tessa was 28 years old, she discovered that her birth father was not white and Spanish, but black and from Trinidad. The 12 beautiful songs in this album carry us along on Tessa's heartfelt journey as she explores her identity and newfound relationships. Picture in Black and White was named a Top 10 Jazz Record of the Year by the London Sunday Times Magazine. And you have two chances to see Tessa perform live on Wednesday, April 10, at Blues Alley in Washington, D.C., and on Friday, April 12, at Bar 55 in New York City. And you can purchase any of her five albums on Amazon or from her website, www. TessaSuter.com. We are thrilled to have Tessa here today to talk about her career and her new album before her upcoming performances. Tessa, I'm so happy to have you here today to talk about your new album. But before we do that, let's talk about your journey to becoming a jazz singer. Is that okay? Yeah. Great. Now, one of your mentors, singer Mansur Scott, once told you, just sing your story. What is your story? Well, what he meant by that, really, was don't try to be a jazz singer. You know, like I was singing all these jazz songs and, you know, quote marks jazz. So I'm making quote marks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't see it. Um, and... He, he said the important thing is to sing your story. So whatever your story happens to be. And I guess mine is, it's not necessarily kind of, it's, I mean, it's not literal. I mean, a bit more with this latest album. But a lot of my story is beyond words. And, and so singing is a really amazing a kind of catharsis because you get to express things even though you're using words somehow you're expressing things beyond the words that you're using that you might not actually be able to describe in just plain words so I guess my story is just my whole life it's very complicated you know having I've had a, a complicated 
life. I was born in London. My parents got divorced. I thought my parents, actually one of them was not my physical parent. And I grew up, I was had a tan. I mean, people keep asking me, they say, well, have you just been somewhere? You've got time? I said, no, my dad is black. You've forgotten. You know, people forget. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, from the tan, I don't really look black. And but as a child, it was very noticeable my how different I looked from everybody else. And my brother was a black and blonde. So, so I sort of felt a little outsider-ish always. And, and then when I was 15, I, gosh, got involved with a bad sort of person, much older person, ran away from home, had a baby, got married. So I then went to university, you know, scrabbled my way back to reality, became a journalist uh, for, you know, Elle and The Independent and The Guardian and different publications. And so I guess my story, if you had to sum it up in a sentence, is that I'm a sort of, I don't give up. <laughs> I keep going. So I suppose that is reflected well, in it's, the songs that I sing. It's obviously been quite a journey. So let's go back a little bit and talk about when did you really know that you wanted to pursue a career as a jazz vocalist? Well, when I was a child, I sang constantly. And some of my very earliest memories, when I was literally probably four, the old, you know, even younger baby, but definitely by the time I was four, because it was preschool, I was singing. My mum taught me how to sing, because she can sing. And um, so I, I, I didn't really think of it, of course, in those days as a job. But then when I was about 12, I, took, I taught myself to play the guitar, to accompany myself singing, and I was totally heavy into uh, Fairport Convention and Pentangle and other folk singers and I sang folk songs for all my friends and everybody then thought that I was going to be a singer and uh, because when you're a kid you know there doesn't seem to be any barrier to it oh my goodness you're just as good as Jody Mitchell you know whatever <laughs> right. and, and you don't you don't kind of edit yourself like you do when you get older. But, of course, I said, I ran away from home, I had my son, and then I really had to devote myself to him. So I didn't really think about being a, a, you know, a professional singer. I always sang, but I didn't think about doing it professionally because well, it wouldn't have been possible for me with a child because I was responsible for him. From the age of 18, I was a single mum, so I, he was two. And uh, so it just wasn't even a thought. Mm-hmm. And then when I was about 37 or something, I was in San Francisco on a sort of prolonged holiday, which ended up in me moving here. And um, uh, Somebody heard me singing at a karaoke bowl, which we used to, my friends and I used to go to because it was fun, and uh, and befriended me. And we used to go out every week to hear music, and they were determined that I should be a singer. I, don't, I just they just wouldn't let it drop, and um, just used to push me to sit in and 
things that I didn't want to do and, I, and then we were in a relationship and um, I, I once I sort of started doing it people would come up to me and say oh where can I come and hear you and and of course there would be nowhere because I wasn't a professional singer I was just sitting in somewhere so gradually it sort of slowly dawned on me that well hey maybe I could actually you know do something with it. I mean, I didn't, but I didn't really have a plan. I think it's good to have a plan. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a plan. Well, maybe not because and, it seems to have worked out. Well, I mean, it's worked out in some ways. It's true. I have five albums. I've had lots of lovely reviews. And, you know, the Times has made this album one of the top ten as well as the previous album I did of the year. So, you know, I've had stuff like that. And it is wonderful, um, and I did have a great time in in uh, Russia. But it's hard work. Being uh, yes, in. the travel is the, moving around and 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 presenting a different program, probably in in many places where you perform. Maybe you more you. It's not so much that you do. I mean, you could do with more of that. I mean, I'm when I say it's hard, I mean you really would you. It's the only job where you just want to be doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's changed now. The days when you could go and... I mean, I actually did sell out of all my CDs within the first three gigs in Russia, and I had ten more gigs to go with no CDs left. Mm-hmm. But oh, dear. <laughs> CDs are harder to sell now than they used to be. And, you know, so the mm-hmm. business of it, it's in flux, and nobody quite knows what's going to happen with the business. And actually, when the album first came out, I got lots of, uh, you know... you put your name onto Google Alerts when you're a musician to see if there's any reviews or anything. And a, an awful lot of the Google Alerts were, hey, you could download the CD for free here, you know. And, oh, you think, oh, could you just at least play it on Spotify so I could get like a penny per play or something. Mm. But it, it is, you know, so, but I, you know, I'm interested to see how, how that develops mm-hmm. actually in the future because... It's happening to everybody. So, well, Tessa, I but, mean, one of the things that impresses has always impressed me about you is the writing that you do. Um, no, thank you, you. That you take these existing songs, many of them classical pieces. You write your own lyrics, and I know at one point you were a writer for a magazine, but writing lyrics for songs is so much different. So, yeah. uh, what goes into that? I mean, you almost have to be a poet to be able to do that? Well, it's, it's kind of the opposite of journalism. Mm-hmm. When you're a journalist, you are supposed to be, as you know, invisible. You are invisible. It's all about your subject. And when you're a, um, a, a, a lyricist, it's much, much more personal than that. But at the same time, you want it to be kind of universal. So I disguise a lot of my stories so that a lot of people can, I, I hope, identify with with the story, mm-hmm. you know, for their own lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily get up and say, well, look, this song is about this, because in that way, I might be stopping someone else from, I, I mean, like one of my lyrics 
the one I call the French song, you know, the, the tragic one. Yes. I mean, that's about a horrible, you know, kind of almost abusive relationship. But people come to me afterwards and they say, oh, that song reminded me of my husband who died and it really was so powerful. And I think, okay, I'm very, I am so glad I didn't tell you what, what that song was actually about <laughs> because then they wouldn't have been able to get that catharsis mm-hmm. from it so but the the one thing that being a journalist did teach me I guess is that when you first start writing as, as a, any kind of writer I think you are often inhibited and think oh dear I'm no this is terrible I'm no good who do I think I am and of course that comes up when you write lyrics for the first time and instead of thinking oh, this is terrible, who do I think I am? You think, oh, this is terrible, who do I think I am? But then again, <laughs> I thought that before. And I'll just struggle through those feelings and mm-hmm. do what I can. So, so on that level, it's it's helpful. Mm-hmm. And then some lyrics just come to you. You just have to write them. And some come quickly and some take ages. And sometimes, just today, I was recording a song which a friend of mine came to with an idea for. He's making an album, a sort of tribute to the Blue Note artists. And he wanted us, he'd written a song which for him is about those people. And he basically had a line or two. And and so I wrote a lyric about that. Mm. And then he called me on Wednesday morning, actually, at 7.30 a.m., <laughs> and we we batted backwards and forwards until the lyric was finished, and I actually sang it today. So mm. so that was very quick. But, and that's actually the first time I've actually collaborated with anyone else on, on a lyric, and it was a very interesting way to, way to do it. So now, Tessa... So far... At age 28, you discovered uh, that your estranged birth father was black and from Trinidad. Uh, yeah. And you had been brought up to believe he was Spanish and white. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is so interesting because, as you know, now people are using all of these DNA kits to discover their yeah. families. Yeah, Ex- Exactly. So what was that like for you when you made this discovery when you had this information and and how did it affect your you know your sense of self and and did you decide to go and meet your father well uh first of all i i had not i had believed until i was 12 that my father who brought me up was my father and when my mother told me I think she felt kind of wanted to take back having told me so I think that's probably why she told me that my birth father had died and so in a way it sort of set up for me this mystery person who could sing whose mother was a flamenco dancer you know so so I I grew up with a kind of yearning in a way for for this absent parent, although I love my dad very much. My parents were divorced, he didn't live anywhere. No, we didn't see each other that often. So I 
I had this kind of, and I and I very much enjoyed, may I say, being Spanish. I mean, I love flamenco music still. It's in my, you could hear it in my music. And uh, so I was crushed when I found out that I had absolutely no Spanish in my DNA <laughs> from the DNA test. But I guess I, when I finally met him, I, before I met him, my um, husband, Ben, my then husband met him. And he told me, he said, oh, well, there's just this one thing, you know. You, and I said, oh, yeah. And he said, well, he's not Spanish. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, yeah, he's, he's black. And I was like, black? I mean, I just didn't get it. I, if I'd seen him, I think it would have made more sense. But just hearing it, it just didn't really add up. So he would point to people in the street over the next year. It took me another year to meet him. And uh, Nick would point to people in the street and say, oh, he looks like that. I'd be like, no, I, I just just didn't make sense. But then I finally met him myself. And when I saw him, it really did make sense. I mean, yes, he looked black, and I don't really, but he still looked like my father. Hmm. And I was fascinated with his his color. You know, I was drinking it in. I mean, he's like copper colored. He's like a dark copper. And, uh, you know, the thing details like his small ears, like I have small ears. And and I guess I'd sort of grown up, I kind of looked like my mum, but I'd kind of grown up not looking like anybody in my family, obviously. I didn't look like my dad who brought me up. I didn't look like my brother. Oh, I had another brother by then. Didn't look like either of them. So, and although I didn't really look like my father, kind of, I, you could see that he was my father. Mm-hmm. So, I guess there's a sort of physical, uh, there's a sort of physical magnetizing. So it did, and it did, it did and it didn't change me. It was like wearing a hat. You know, if you wear a hat all day and you take it off, you still kind of feel like you're wearing that hat. It was sort of like a bit of a bit of that to it. And of course, added complication being that I felt terribly guilty about my yearning to to get to know my birth father because I already had this other father who didn't know that I had met my other father. So, you know, see what I mean? It had to be a singer, right? Because it's hard to explain words. So, so it did, it did change my identity, but more when I came to America than in England. Mm-hmm. And when I came to America, I remember walking down the street one day in San Francisco and suddenly God hit me. My God, my father would have been a slave. I mean, just was so shocking to me to mm. think that. And then, of course, by you know, extension, so would I have been a slave? Mm. Or would I have run away? Or would I have passed? Or what would, you know, I don't know. So I I guess and to have these things come to you when you're an adult, you're a bit like a child who realizes, you know, like I think, if you're black, you grow up, you don't really know that you are this thing, black. And then you start to notice it by the way people behave towards you or to, towards your parents. 
And I had that experience sort of, you know, not actually directed at me, but that I would notice it, think about it, think, wow, you know, this is, how come this or how come that? And I, I, I had a friend who would tell me that his girlfriend's son was coming over and asking the same kind of questions that I would be asking mm. because he was a little boy and he was, he didn't get it either. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So... So is, is is that when you decided to do this album? I mean, did no, I I uh, did all. I, this is my fifth album, so I did all my other albums without you know just expressing myself, whatever. And um, and then I I started hearing songs because I you know I've obviously done a lot of reading and read lots of memoirs. I had this. Read, read a lot of slave memoirs because I just wanted to know. I just wanted to know. And I then, sort of not long ago, maybe about four years ago or something, I started to hear songs with those with those stories in mind. So, like Ornette Coleman's Only Woman, that for me is about, uh, I read this dreadful story probably about three years ago of this um, couple in New York, actually, who were owned by whoever. And um, he decided to send the, the woman to the Caribbean, which is a very cruel, one of the cruelest places to be sent, that and down south, which is when they, what they mean when they say sold down the river. Um, where that expression comes from, apparently, um, and left her children behind in New York because he said he'd make the children soft if they were allowed to go with her. And her husband was furious, of course. Her, you know, they weren't allowed to be married, and but they had no choice. And when I listened to Lonely Woman, the lyric is, you know, she's crying, um, and nobody cares. They're not listening to her tears. And, um, but there's one person who knows why she's, knows the story of why she's crying. And he calls the lonely woman, and, but never again will she hear him. So it, it didn't even make sense as a, as a regular pop song. But if you listen to it from the perspective of that couple, that's what that song is. I think. I don't know what Margot Gurion was thinking. I'm sure she wasn't thinking that. I'd love to ask her. I think she's still around to ask. But maybe she channeled it. Maybe she, you know, it's a bit like when I wrote the lyrics to Anne Maria. I was like, what are these? Okay, well, I, I okay. I will write them down. But it seemed to me that that's what that song is about. So that's one example. Or, or a Taste of Honey. That's, it's in three. That sort of makes me think of a ship rocking... And it's archaic language. I'll take with me a taste of tea. And that made me think about people being captured in Africa and brought to America or the Caribbean. And the people that they left behind, the woman who dies and dreaming of his kiss, a kiss more bitter than wine. So it's sort of, it's just another way of interpreting the song. Mm-hmm. But there's, most of them are already, you know, the songs on my album are mostly already 
already in existence. I just, in my mind, put a different thing. But, but of course, for the people who are listening, please, you know, think what you want. That's up to the listener to interpret. But I think, you know, you can get a kind of, I don't know, maybe... I can't say. I mean, you could tell me how what you think. I'd well, be very interested. Well, I think. I mean, woman. I thought "Lonely Woman" uh, with its lyrics was about longing, and I think that anybody that listens to that song, no matter what yeah. their experience is, you know, the loss and longing for something that that you don't have. I mean, that's what I came away with. So, yeah, I think that that's what people experience when they hear that. I mean, for me. Cothbureau, Cothbureau, am I pronouncing yeah, that correctly? Yeah, yeah. I found that was one of the most haunting songs on the album. Did you see the movie? Did you see the movie The Constant Gardener? Yes, yes. Yeah, and that, it's the funeral scene. Uh, that it, song it, came, it, and I was like, what is this song? An amazing song. I mean, what went into recording that song? Because it, it really, it's so haunting and so beautiful. Well, it was, we sort of came up with a lot of it in the studio, in the, when I had an idea of what I wanted, I wanted the bass to play Arco, I, uh, I wanted it to have a folk kind of feel, I wanted it to have a piano solo, um, Yotam, the, uh, guitar player, suggested uh, threading his guitar strings with bits of paper to make it sound like an African instrument, which mm-hmm. I think it does. And and I wanted to sing harmonies and um, and I did when I did the vocal overdubs, I did it with this incredible engineer called Catherine Miller, who's just an amazing engineer and musician actually really. And um, together we came up with how how that uh, came out, you know, with the, with the overdubbing, mm-hmm. because of course you needed a great engineer to do that, and uh, so so she has uh, equal arranging on that mm-hmm. on that song. So yeah, I guess yeah. So now, that, uh, that. Tessa, the the album is called Picture in Black and White. So did that title come up after? I mean, how did the title come about? Well. Years ago, I wrote a lyric to Picture in Black and White, the Joe Bean song. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, John Hendricks had written a lyric, but they wouldn't even let John Hendricks lyric go. I mean, they were very strict, the um, the estate, the Joe Bean estate. So although some of his lyrics they allowed, I heard they stopped allowing lyrics. So hmm. I didn't even try to get the lyrics for that. I did get them to Concierto for... Beyond the Blue, which is another lyric about my birth father. Even though everyone had said that's not possible, but I didn't feel like doing it for this one. And and but but I kept the title because the song is the picture in black and white is me. That's is you. What yes. is the picture in black and white? Yes. Um, and. I mean, some people think it's about a photograph of my father. No, it's about me. I am the picture. That is black and white. Mm-hmm. So, but of course, it's about my father as well. But mm. um, yeah, it's a great, I, it's, so a great it's a great, it's a great title. Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a good title for the album, and it it's a it's a good title, and I 
and it's what the song is about and it's what the album is about because there's songs on there that come from my white if you like you know folk songs there's there's all different kinds of it's kind of quite eclectic although somebody said they liked that it, it was eclectic but it all seemed to go together mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think they sort of hold together but yeah so that's that's how the title came came about and I wrote the, the melody I kept thinking oh god I'm never going to be able to what am I going to do I need to you know like two days before the the, uh, I went into the studio, had finished the melody just, but I didn't have any changes for it. And then, and then I heard this um, other song, a Ralph Towner and Gary Peacock song, and it, my melody fitted over the top pretty much of one of their songs. So I did what they call a contrafact, which is, you know, like Embraceable You and or Blue Skies and In Walked But That's the same changes but do completely different songs so so that's a contrafact of I guess in a way it's kind of a contrafact except that I had already come up with the melody so that was sort of a miracle really we went in and we, we recorded it and it was miraculous and it came just the day before but now, you just returned from a tour in Russia. Uh, what was that yeah. like? I mean, I saw your postings on Facebook, and at times it looked <laughs> Arctic-like, um, oh, obviously. Goodness. Very cold. But what was the reception with the audiences audience there? They're amazing audiences. I mean, a lot of women, and a lot of women go out on their own. Like, International Women's Day is a huge day there. But Valentine's Day, not so much. And I had a gig on Valentine's Day, and it was, it, I would say it was like 70% women in the audience. Wow. So, um, and they're very effusive, you know, they they come up and they say people will come up after the gig, and I don't know if it's a language, you know, translating, but that's it takes like, you made my soul explode, or... Just you know, you you went you went into my into my heart, and you pulled you know stuff. I was very sort of. And are they spe- are like they that. speaking English when they're giving you their feelings yeah, about this song? Yeah, sometimes they're putting it in their phone. So who knows? Maybe it's Google Translate is coming up with all poetry. <laughs> like you made my soul explode. Mm-hmm. But actually, no, that was an actual person that said that. Maybe he looked it up, I don't know, in advance. But sometimes people will just show you their phone that they've translated. And they're very... um, grab you and really hug you. Not just, you know, air kissing, but really kissing. Very moved, very emotional, very... It's very exciting, actually. It's It's an exciting place to perform because the people are so um, receptive I think mm-hmm. how does it compare yeah, to cultured. how does it compare to some of the other countries that you tour because I know you're in many different countries well I mean it I think they're a little more uh, grabby and huggy I'd say <laughs> But it, otherwise, 
it's amazing how audiences, you know, sometimes they don't, the Russian audiences that I was singing for mostly did not speak English at all. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't talking or anything. They weren't getting my usual, you know, banter. Right. And my jokes or anything like that. So they were just purely listening to the music. Um, elsewhere that I've performed abroad, the people tend to speak English, so they get, you know, what I give here in America too. So they, it's like I was in Budapest straight afterwards and I was, people were laughing and getting the stories and so, and they they weren't so grabby and huggy. There were a few people that were like that, but not as much as, not as uninhibitedly, I think. Mm-hmm. But they Audiences, I find, I don't change myself, really, according to where I am, except I don't talk a lot when I'm somewhere where I don't keep a lot because I have to speak the language. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, I just give the same, and I feel like I get back the same from wherever. So they're not that different, in my opinion. Maybe it's the jazz audiences are, are very similar mm-hmm. the world over. I wonder, you know, like when you're a child and you read certain books and they form your personality uh, and then you grow up and you meet people and become friends with them and you find out that their favorite book as a child was also The Secret Garden or whatever. Right. I, I think it might it might be like that, you know, the audience, people who love jazz are of a, of a type or something. And so as audiences, they don't strike me. I mean... As terribly different. Well, it's from each so other, it speaks. To the country. It speaks to the power of music, doesn't it? Really, that it really does. Know, it yeah, goes beyond yeah. borders. So I know you're going yeah. to be at Blues Alley in DC yes. on April yes. 10th. I can't wait to see you. Um, Thank you. Uh, so tell us, uh, you'll be performing songs from Picture in Black and White. Yeah. I will. I mean, I, there's some I, other songs that I just cannot not do. Like, for example, I I will do Obsession because I don't know. I have yet to get tired of that song. But otherwise, yeah, I'll be doing mostly mostly songs from the album. But mm-hmm. I will be doing Cospira because I don't think I can persuade those guys to sing the harmonies. Would be, I could ask, but I don't think they will. I, I mean, but, people will have to buy the album, and I encourage yeah, them to do that to because it is it is such a beautiful yeah. song. So, uh, you okay. know, you were talking about how you didn't really go into your patter with the Russian audiences, but yeah. that is one of the things that, uh, you know, Tessa always, I think, sets you apart from some of the other singers that um, that at least we go and see that you connect with the audience and you tell stories. And I know you want them to come away with their own impression of the songs, but you do give uh, you know, insight and you talk about uh, what went into uh, writing some of the songs and all of that. It's, to me, it's just part of the whole experience of your performance. I think it is. People tell me that, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of my jazz, if you like. That's where I'm jazz, because I don't... I I totally improvise, you know. I mean, it's the same. The stories are, are the same. It's the same basis, you know. But they, I can't rehearse or learn pattern. So 
it's all like kind of made up on on the spot mm-hmm. and and that is it just uh, feels so free I just I love doing that I love talking to the people too so I've, uh, I've learned not to do it too much but I do really enjoy that aspect of connecting with the people yeah very much well, and of course, one place where you really connect with the people is uh, one of your favorites, Bar 55 in New York, where... Um, uh, yeah, we, I love that place. We lo- Tell me why you love it so much. I mean, it it is, it's a very intimate uh, venue, obviously, um, small but cozy and a little quirky. Um, yeah. What makes it so special? I think... Well, the woman who used to own it, she died and now her son owned it, who's also fabulous, but she was an incredible character and very respectful um, presenter, if you like, of music. She listened to every album that anyone gave her to see whether she thought they would fit in her space. Even if it took her a long time, she would listen. She would say to me, I feel like people deserve I owe them that. They've given it to me. I owe it to them to listen. And she made the audiences be quiet, you know, whereas I think before she came on board, people used to be talking in the background. Well, that it looks like the kind of place where people be talking in the background, but they don't. No, they don't. And uh, They're very respectful. So, very respectful. And there are so many characters there. I mean, there are so many characters who go there. And so many characters who work there you know mm-hmm. the bar staff pretty much all characters but Kirby in particular we always keep saying we're going to take Kirby to an open mic <laughs> to do comedy because he's very funny and he now introduces um, the band which certainly introduces me anyway when I'm there and it's it's just it feels like home you know it just right. really feels like home I have a very hard time not doing that gig. Well, for people who don't know that Kirby is the one who also uh, serves the drinks, and so he gets yeah. around. Sorry, and, yeah, and, Kirby's the barman, yeah. Right. And, and one, one, of the, one of the things that always impresses us, too, Tessa, is that you always manage to get great musicians there to perform with you. Uh, I know. so fabulous, and they're always different. They always bring yeah. something different to the performance. Uh, so you have this whole, you know, list of people that you contact and just say, you know, want to come on Friday? It's the first Friday yeah, of every month, of. right? Second, second Friday of every month. Second Friday of every month, okay. Yeah, I, I have like a pool and... Uh, I mean, there's so many incredible musicians in New York, and they do have their own spin uh, on the song. So it's really, I mean, I I totally respect people who want to play with the same people over and over and over again, and there's Mm -hmm. there's definitely something in that as well. Mm -hmm. Gives you another kind of freedom. But there's something like walking on a, like a clown walking on a huge ball um, about playing with, different, I mean, I, you know, I play over and over with the same people, but just not usually the same people every month, you know, I probably play with about six guitar players and maybe about six bass players. Mm-hmm. And they, and I just love them all. I love playing and I love experimenting. It keeps me on my 
keeps me, you know, putting my arms out to my sides and making sure that I'm still balanced on that big ball when you're, you know, you don't get comfortable. You don't get, you don't want to get too comfortable in, in jazz, I think, or perhaps in any music, but definitely in jazz. Right. You know, that little bit of tension makes it exciting. Well, you know, there's a real, uh, of course, Woman Around Town is in New York and D.C., so it's really exciting for me because you're going to be here in D.C., and then you're going to be back up in New York, and so people can see you in one or both cities, which I know I will do. Thank you. Um, so, blue- it's always great to have you in the audience. I know. Both of you. Yeah. So Blues Alley on April 10th, and I think there are yeah. two, two shows that night, right? At There's eight, two shows. There's an 8 and a 10. 8 and yeah. a 10, and they can go to, people can go to the website, and we will certainly put links uh, on, the webs- on our website so that people can go and buy uh, tickets Fantastic. and then and yeah. then the next time you're in New York at Bar Fifty Five will be when that Friday. So I'm at I'm at Blue Valley on the tenth, and then on on the twelfth I'll be at on the twelfth. Uh, yeah, and okay. at Blue Valley I'm with Eric Bird, Alphonse Junior, um, Alphonse Young Junior, and uh, Michael Bowie on bass. So. Lovely band, beautiful guys, lovely Wonderful. musicians. They were the ones, I don't know if you saw me at the Kennedy stage, Millennium stage. Yes, but yes. Yeah, they were, they, were the, they did that. Will you be doing that again, do you think? I don't know, I have to ask. I'd love to. It was, uh, it was fun, even though uh, the band started off with the wrong key. Well, I mean, that was a wonderful, well, it was a wonderful venue, and uh, I, there, it really attracted a lot of people, Tessa. I thought it was a great turnout. People, yes, yeah. it was great. It it's was a, great. It's a lovely, it's a, it's a, it's very grand, isn't it? It's yes, kind of grand. yes, it is. I don't quite know how the sound was, because on stage, it sounds, it's very hard to hear. Yeah, I can you imagine. You don't know what that, because somehow the, Speakers the way they are. Mm-hmm. It's sort of when you're on stage, it's a bit, it's a bit hard to tell what's going on out there. So I hope it was sounded good in the house. I don't know. Yeah, it did sound very good. So anyway, Tessa, thank you so much for spending this time with us and thank to you talk so about thank your you. album, uh, which I encourage everyone to buy. Or can they download it too? Is that um, you know they can get it on uh, on iTunes, uh, iTunes, and okay. also. Um, uh, what's the other uh, Spotify? Spotify. Perhaps right. I shouldn't encourage them, but right. rather encourage them to buy. Right. Uh, but if they would buy, that would be fantastic. But there's a sort of buy, then yeah, they can get it on Amazon, iTunes, and or um, I have on my website all my albums have links next to them where you can actually buy them. Okay, well, that's great. Um, yeah. So we will have all the links um, on our website too. So again, thank, thank you so much you. for joining us, and I'm going to close with uh, a little uh, excerpt from one of your songs, uh, one of the uh, songs on the album, so that uh, people you. can hear that. So thank, thank you, you, Tessa. We'll see you soon. Yeah, see you too. See you uh, next week. Okay, very good. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Lonely in the night, she wondered, who can she tell of her heartache? They that listen do not care.
They don't share heartache She is a lonely woman No one to cry to at all Once she wore a smile of gladness Now on that smile there are teardrops They that knew her didn't care Wouldn't wear teardrops They left the Once she loved a man Don't bother to imagine how she loved him You'd never guess at all She never told the secret of her sorrow And yet there was someone had eyes that saw her sorrow he heard the sound of her sadness when he called her no one came but the same sadness he calls the But never again will she hear He had eyes that saw 
her sorrow He heard the sound of her sadness When he called her no one came But the same sadness He calls the lone 